Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day is bobbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a record for Colin Day. It's been coming. What a gap and he goes through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. Dan Bradley on his debut scores his first goal for Files. They've got it with Smith. They've got it with Smith. They've got a score with Smith. Unbelievable. Great chance. They've won it. Ashton have won it. Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of the Ringcraft podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Makin, and I'm joined as always by my boxing connoisseur and friend, Sam Jordan, or my sparring partner, or corner man, or whatever you want to call it, if you've not realised this is a boxing podcast. And if you're thinking, this is those two idiots who do it for Matchday FM, we've not done a runner. It is still Matchday FM, but we've just brought our own little sub-brand, shall we say, um, to specialise in boxing, really, Sam, and we're looking forward to getting going, aren't we? Most definitely, Kieran. It's been on the cards for a while, hasn't it? It's something that we've uh, we've discussed uh, on numerous occasions. Never quite come to fruition, but you know, with the start of the boxing season now upon us, with uh, you know uh, the matchroom show on Saturday coming up, and the rest of the year after the British Boxing Board of Control lifted their ban uh, on boxing, it's uh, yeah, felt like the right time to start it. And I'm looking forward to it, Kieran. Looking forward to what you hit me with this week. So am I. We uh, we both love boxing. We both love talking about boxing. You don't have to necessarily agree or disagree with us, really. Just give us a listen and see what you think. And uh, we'll get straight into the action. Um, we're recording on the Thursday. We're previewing this Saturday's fight night. Josh Warrington is back, Sam, um, facing Maurizio Lara. Obviously, 15 months out of the ring for Josh Warrington, you know, vacated the IBF belt very recently. Um Will those two things uh, have an impact on him? Will they affect his performance? Uh, what can we expect from him, really, is the first thing I'm going to ask you. Uh, for me, personally, he looks in fantastic shape, as always. And he's looking for the sort of Indian summer of his career, would you say? Uh, it might be a little bit premature to say the Indian summer. I know we, I know what you're getting at there, obviously. He's, he's just gone into his 30s, Josh Wellington, hasn't he? So, um, yeah, I would say he's, he's still very much in his prime. But, uh, yeah, he has had 15 months out the ring. Not ideal for him, obviously. Uh, with a global pandemic on it, it's, it's been tough to get uh, Warrington into a into a fight. He's a massive ticket seller, uh, and so for the money he would probably command now that he's back on Sky. Um, yeah, it's just been difficult to get him out really, but it's 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 got to the point really where he just needs to get out. Um, so that's why he's fighting this weekend behind closed doors. It's a bit disappointing that he's not fighting for the uh, the IBF title, but I can understand why he chose to vacate the title. I mean. The first fight uh, against Kid Galahad was, to be honest, it was it was a snooze fest, if I'm honest. But if I'm also totally honest, I thought that Kid Galahad won the fight. Uh, for me, I thought he edged it. Um, but uh, in terms of Josh Warren, I can totally understand why he wouldn't want to take that fight because one, in his mind, he's already beaten. Uh, two, the fight was a snooze fest and Josh Warrington's not someone who likes being in, in, in fights like that. He's more of a... And, um, he likes to go toe-to-toe with his opponents, as he did against uh, Lee Selby and, and Carl Frampton. Um, whereas with Kit Galahad, there was a lot of spoiler, a lot of holding. Um, so, yeah, I can totally understand why. You, and there's not a lot of money in that fight, being honest, if we're being totally straight. Because, because of uh, Galahad's style, he's never really going to command a lot of money for that sort of fight, and we've already seen it. So, um, yeah, I can totally understand his decision to vacate the IBF and, and to go chasing some of the other world title holes. 
Yeah, the money is elsewhere, which we will uh, come on to. Um, something you did touch on, it's quite interesting, is obviously Warrington, you know, his fan base is big, and but it, that sort of grew and along with like the momentum that he picked up from fights. And I think that was when he was at his best, really, wasn't it? You know, he beat Selby, he beat Frampton, like went toe-to-toe with Frampton, just outworked him. Like the energy and fitness was sublime. And I think for me, uh, having you know, a couple of fights in, you know, a couple of years, whatever it is, is not usually what something what Josh Warrington does, is it? Josh Warrington usually is very active and he likes getting in the ring and, you know, maybe two to three fights a year. So this is a bit of a different challenge for him, isn't it? Most definitely, as it is for a lot of boxers at the moment, Keen, you know, most boxers do like to be able to, especially the, the elite boxers, like to be able to two to three times a year. Um, but with someone uh, of Josh Warrington's style, even more so, um, because... It's all about, for Josh Wanton, it's all about putting people under pressure and uh, the timing of your shots. Uh, for him, he's not a counter-puncher, so it's not necessarily as as a, um, as an ascent, as essential for him to be out two to three times a year as a counter-puncher or to get, your, uh, to get rid of your ring rust. Um, but he does need that timing um, as well because, obviously, if he's going to put shots together in bunches, with it, which is what he likes to do, he's got to be able to, to find the shots um, and get into get into range to do that. Um, so, yeah, he'll be looking forward to shaking the ring rust off uh, in the ring on, come Saturday night. Um, and to be honest, Keaton, he's in with an opponent, Mauricio Lara, who, to be honest, should make Warrington look good. Um, he He's a game fighter, um, decent record, someone who Warrington is expected to beat, in the, beat handily. Um, so, yeah, he should look good Saturday night and hopefully blow off a few of the cobwebs and look forward to some bigger fights coming um, later on this year. Yeah, Maurizio Lara, obviously Mexican, who are, you know, stereotypically, stereotypically even, come forward fighters, aren't they? Very game, as you said, and, you know, won't take a backward step. Um, so is he a threat or does he carry a threat or is he the perfect opponent for Josh Warrington, as you've just mentioned, because that's what Warrington likes, someone who will come and, and have a scrap? Or is he a bit of both? What do you think? I'll be honest, I, I think he's the perfect opponent for Josh Warrington. Um, obviously, the fight with Kanzu fell through. Um, not ideal for him, something, uh, an opponent that Warrington has said himself the uh, last few weeks that he's been he'd been preparing for for the best part of 12 months. Um, so that wasn't ideal. But in, in Mauricio Lara, he has an opponent now who's, in terms of uh, Warrington's style, is ready-made for him. Someone, as you say, will come forward, will go toe-to-toe with him. And Warrington in the featherweight division, being honest, key, his record in terms of knockouts isn't necessarily impressive, but um, Warrington carries power and he, his record is deceiving. He's someone who, who carries enough power, maybe not one-punch knockout power, but he's someone who, who carries enough power cumulatively to stop people in the, tre- in the, in the um, to stop people coming forward and stop people uh, launching their own attacks. Uh, and he eventually breaks it down. Josh Warrington, he's got that sort of accumulative power. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's ready-made. I don't see Warrington having any problems whatsoever on Saturday night. Josh Warrington's biggest problem in terms of his opponent this weekend is his mindset towards the fight come Saturday night because if Josh Warrington believes that this is going to be a walkover which in our eyes and in the pundits' eyes and the fans' eyes uh, it should be then he could be in for a tricky night because he doesn't want to look past him but in reality Josh Warrington is the only man who can beat himself on Saturday night I would agree with that and that's you know, the tricky thing for him, isn't it? Obviously, he's had um, a postponed fight. Well, it was twice postponed, wasn't it, I believe, because of the, the pandemic and obviously change of opponent. Things have changed with the IBF, obviously. 
he will be naturally looking ahead. Naturally, I know he says, you know, this fight in front of him, let's do it. But he'll have one eye on on the big fights in the future. And I think I watched uh, an interview he did with uh, um, Sky Sports before um, one of the open workouts, and he was saying that. Um, well, the interviewer said to him, you know, Mauricio Lara will, will come for war. He said war is in, in my blood or something like that. And and Josh Warrington said, oh, I'm looking forward to that. But my dad, obviously his dad's his trainer, would ne- not necessarily <laughs> be be excited about that prospect. So um, do you think that's just him, you know, tongue in cheek? Or do you think his dad will want a bit more of a composed performance rather than Josh getting caught in too many tear-ups? Obviously, that's where he'll get a lot of his success. But he doesn't want it being all gunko you know, maybe in, in bursts and patches more than, you know, straight from the first bell? Yeah, obviously, his, um, his dad will want a, a composed, measured performance from Josh Longton uh, come Saturday night. I think that's the key word, measured. Um, he won't want him going in gung-ho, slinging punches from the opening bell, which is what he has done uh, in previous fights. And, and to be fair to him, it's worked well in some fights. Uh, took Carl Frampton by surprise, particularly, and Lee Selby. So, um he won't want him necessarily doing that from the opening bell. He wants him to maybe sort of pick his shot a little bit more. But if the opportunity arises to put his shots together and get him out of it, I'm sure he'd be encouraging him to do that as well. But as you say, Key, he won't want him taking too many shots. So against an opponent, really, who he's expected to blow apart. So um, I would expect his, you know, his instructions to be from the corner to be go out, uh, measure him up quite early, um, stick stick behind your jab, try and. Try and um, work your way into range, rather than just you know trying to go all gun ho and, and just and just launch the kitchen sink. And I think they'd be asking him to work himself into range, land the jab, land, uh, break him down to the body. I think that's what that, that's what the tackle will be: break him down to the body and mix mix it up, um, go body and head, but not necessarily go head hunting, which Warrington has been guilty of in the past. So, yeah, I think that they'll be the tactics. And I feel like, to be honest, I feel like that it'll be the body shots that really do break. Um, break his opponent down come Saturday night whether he finishes with a body shot I don't know but it'll be the body shots that do the damage take the wind out of his opponent's sails and eventually lead to a, a stoppage for me yeah he, he, he does have an exciting style um, you know high energy very fit those hooks to body and head as you mentioned they're all you know part of his armour um, and you know his exciting style will make for plenty of, of exciting fights you know down the line and, and we'll look on to you know what, what could be potentially next for Josh Warrington you know should he come through as we expect him to on, on Saturday night. There's a few big fights in the, in the featherweight division, Sam, but the one that catches my eye, and, and probably I, I would imagine you would agree with this, is the Gary Russell Jr. fight, current WBC featherweight champion. Is that, that the one uh, you think he will be looking at and the one you think he should be looking at? You know, should he get through Lara? Listen, Key, I mean, there's some tough fights in that featherweight division. Obviously, you've just got uh, Navaretta, who's just won the WBO belt. Um, who obviously he's just come up, hasn't he, from uh, Super Bantamweight. Very good fighter. Uh, obviously, the IBF belt will be contested now between Kid Galahad and uh, Liverpool's own Jazza Dickens. Um, so, I mean, Warrington, obviously just vacating the IBF belt. I don't think he'll, he'll fancy going after either one of them too. So, yeah, it, it's then after that, you're looking at uh, one of um, Gary Russell and obviously... Can you potentially um, the WBA now? Obviously, Leo is, is Leo Santa Cruz who's still got. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Santa Cruz is the uh, the super or the the champion, and and Kanzu uh, is the whatever the you know regular, regular. or whatever the WBA do these days. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's well documented the uh, the problems that uh, a lot of 
the boxing world has with the WBA um, and their title scheme and, and the way WBC is even running their organisation at the moment. But yeah, as far as I'm aware, Kanju is the or is or was the WBA regular champion and Leo Santa Cruz had the WBA super uh, super status. Um, I think for the fight to make it a unification, they were going to possibly make uh, uh, Santa Cruz champion in Moses and elevate Kanju to WBA, WBA super. But obviously with the fight now not happening, I think Santa Cruz still has claims to that belt. So then again, he could go after Santa Cruz. What a fight that would be. Mm. Um, it's just whether Santa Cruz would be willing to come back down. Obviously, he's just fought Javonta Davis, hasn't he? And, um, at upper, uh, I don't even know whether he fought him at Super Feather or Lightweight. So, uh, I think it was Super Feather, but he got chinned, didn't he? Either way, oh, yeah. he, got, he yeah. got flattened by Tank. Exactly. So it's what it's what uh, Santa Cruz wants to do, to be honest. He might want to stay there at Super Feather, uh, being honest. So... Um, you know, with, with some other names that are currently there. I mean, some champions in that Super Feather who, who you might fancy beating, especially uh, Jamel Herring, who's facing Carl Franson uh, in the next month or two. So you might fancy staying there. It'd be, it remains to be seen what he wants to do. But in terms of uh, potential matchups, Gary Russell Jr. is a very interesting one, Key, because obviously he's got a lot of talent. Uh, Gary Russell Jr., obviously, I think his sole defeat was to Vasily uh, Lomachenko, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of talent. Very, very quick hands. Um, very good um, American. But he's very, very inactive. And I think Warrington um, would fancy his chances against Gary Russell Jr., especially if he was to put him under all sorts of pressure and, and try and get to him uh, late. So I think he would fancy his chances. However, that's not the easiest fight to make. Obviously, Gary Russell Jr.'s uh, worked with PBC over a number of years now. Um, I'm not sure if he's still in contract with them. I don't know whether he's, uh, he's fighting with them on a... Uh, fight by fight basis, but obviously PBC run by Al Heyman don't tend to do any fights with anybody outside PBC generally. So it might be a tougher fight to make, uh, which means that he could potentially look to make the, the rematch. With, well, not the rematch, sorry, the rescheduling of uh, his fight with Kanju later on this year. Which, uh, to be honest, I feel like that's probably the most likely outcome. I feel like he'll fight Kanju later on this year when there's um, when there's fans allowed back in the arenas. Definitely very interesting insight. Uh, just part of me, I think it's just the. Um the pipe dream boxing fan inside inside of me, Sam. I think I just love Gary Russell Jr. to like come over here, um, Ellen Road, packed Ellen Road, uh, like Jeff Lacey style, you know, when Jeff Lacey came over and Calzaghi sorted him out, I think that that would be my <laughs> my ideal situation. Or even, you know, seeing the Leeds, the Leeds faithful go over to America, maybe. But um, as you said, you know, politics could get in the way with that one and, and the Kanji fight could be, the third time, uh, lucky third time's a charm for uh, Josh Warrington. Um, so he is in action this Saturday night. Make sure you tune in live on Sky Sports facing Maurizio Lara. Sam, what's your prediction for this one? Uh, Warrington stoppage. And I fancy it to be five rounds, maybe. Might might, might make six of the push. Depends, depends how tough the, Mex- the Mexican is, Lara. Um, uh, but I do fancy Warrington to do a job on him. I feel like he, he'll uh, he'll blow him out the water in the end, and I feel like he'll uh, he'll stop him in the mid rounds. Yeah, it does depend. I mean, they are very tough by trade, aren't they? It just you know, it basically survival. I think. I think it's just how long he can hang on for. I'm going to go for uh, Josh Warrington stoppage myself, um, and I'll probably go for round eight, something like that. It won't be too late on that. Might that might be pushing it to fill it. Yeah, we'll go round eight. Uh, Josh Warrington stoppage. Uh, there's a few yeah. other decent fights on this card as well. So obviously you got Lee Wood versus Reese Mould. Reese Mould undefeated. Lee Wood is 23 and two British uh, featherweight title. You got Zelfa Barrett 24 and one. He's fighting the experienced Kiko Martinez. 
And the uh, prospect on the card as well, Dalton Smith, 6-0. and oh, He's fighting 11-3, and three, Ishmael Ellis. Uh, just want to run through your predictions for them three, Sam? Uh, which ones do you want me to start with? Let's do Lee Woodmold, oh, Barrett, Lee. Martinez, and then do Smith, yeah. Okay. Uh, Lee Wood and Mould. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, that's a tough one to call. It's a very tough one to call. It's probably the most 50-50 fighter um, on the card. Uh, obviously, Lee Wood. Uh, it's been on quite a few matchroom shows. Um, so, everyone seems to know what Lee Wood is about. Um, he's had a couple of good wins on the matchroom shows as well. But, obviously, he lost his last fight uh, to Jazza Dickens. And, to be honest... He lost it handily as well. I know it was. I think it went down as a majority decision in the end. But he, I, I watched the fight live, and Jazza Dickens was very, very good on the night, and and did beat up Lee Wood really, to be honest. So it'd be interesting to see how he comes back from that. Um, obviously, but he's got some other good wins on his record. He's beat the likes of Ryan Doyle. He's beat uh, David Oliver Joyce. Um, so it remains to be seen really how he gets on. He's, he's beat Josh Whale as well. So it remains to be seen how he recovers. Uh, Reese Mould, on the other hand, as you said, um, 13 and all undefeated, um, six knockouts, but hasn't really faced anyone really, um, other than his last fight, which uh, sorry, not his last fight, his fight before that, which was Sean Davis, which was a, a vacant English feather title, which he won, uh, won that by TKO. So hasn't really fought anyone really, other than that, of any note. So it'd be interesting, um, to see how they get on. Uh, if you push me for a prediction, I would say. I fancy Lee Wood to edge him on points. I think, I think that's the reason where it goes down. Yeah, I'd agree. That that does look a a good fifty fifty, and and you know, two people are at different stages of the career. You know, Lee Wood, you know, still got a lot to offer the the boxing game, but obviously that defeat to Jazza Dickens will have made him rethink his sort of aspirations. But you know, you got Reese Mould, who's, who's on the up. You know, he, he may not have had a a bigish fight as of yet, but he'll. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be ambitious and this could be the step up that he needs. So very interesting fight. Uh, what about Zelfa Barrett and Kiko Martinez? Obviously, Kiko Martinez has been around the block, Sam. You know, he's fought pretty much everybody, hasn't he? And uh, we were saying just before we come on, I remember when uh, he had that scrap with Scott Quigg and obviously came out on the on the losing end. And, you know, Zelfa Barrett is, is quite talented. So uh, what do you think about that one? Do you know what? This one's a potential banana skin for Zelfa Barrett. I mean, we've seen in his last fight, um, he... Showing vulnerabilities in that fight uh, against Donovan. Um, is it Eric Donovan? I think it was he fought, wasn't it? So um, he showed vulnerabilities. He was losing that fight handily. Um, he was getting beat to the punch. Uh, was was slugging a little bit. I feel like that's maybe something that he will look to have corrected in, in his camp. Um, yeah, he was. He, I feel like he was loading up a bit too much. So hopefully he tries to box a little bit more um, in this fight. Uh, saying that. If he loads up with Kiko Martinez, we could be in for an all-out war. Uh, as you say, Keys, I mean, Martinez has, has fought a who's who of them weights. Um, he's obviously, as you say, he's fought uh, the likes of uh, Scott Quigg. He's fought Josh Warrington himself. Um, he's fought uh, Leo Santa Cruz. He's also fought Gary Russell Jr. <laughs> he's fought Carl Frampton. You know, he's literally fought of who's who. Um, and to be fair, I don't think he's won too many of them, to be fair. He's lost to Frampton, Quigg, Santa, Frampton twice. Uh, Quigg, Santa Cruz, Warrington, Russell, yeah, he lost them all. So, um, But, you know, he's, he's still a very, very game uh, opponent um, and someone who will come and bring pressure. Um, and himself a ballot um, tries to go to war again. I, I really do think that this is a 50-50 fight. If he does that, if he, if he chooses to box a little bit more and, and pick and choose when he when he throws his power shots, 
I feel like he'll get Kiko out of there quite comfortably, but it just depends on what uh, tactics he employs, really, Zelfa. And um, yeah, uh, with Martinez as well, I do feel like age will probably play a factor. Um, he has won his last two, though, to be fair to him, um, after getting beat by Gary Russell in 2019, he's won his last two. So, um, but he is 34. So I am going to side with youth. I do feel like Zelfa Barrett will get the job done, and I do think he'll get it done by stoppage as well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say late, late stoppage, Zelfa Barrett. I feel like it'll be competitive while it lasts. Let's certainly hope so um, when we're watching with a few beers and probably a takeaway. Uh, finally, Sam, um, Dalton Smith, 6-0, a uh, bit of an up-and-comer. You know, a little bit of a step up for him fighting Ishmael Ellis. Uh, do you think he will carry on his winning streak? Uh, yeah, you would say so, wouldn't you? I mean, um, he's looked quite impressive, to be fair, Dalton Smith and the pros so far. Um, what I like about him, um, I remember watching him on the... He was on the... What was he called? Um, I forgot the name. But fight Camp. He was on the Fight Camp yeah, card, yeah. wasn't he? Um, Jordan Fight Camp. Uh, I remember watching him, and he was he was very impressive. I liked the way he put his shots together. I liked his sh- shot selection. I liked how composed he was. Um, obviously, his, his father Grant um, runs that gym, um, the Steel City gym. Obviously, Charlie Edwards, Sonny Edwards are both uh, stable mates of his. Um, I just like the way he puts his shots together, Dalton Smith. I feel like he's very calculated and he's spiteful as well. Uh, very, very capable of getting people out of there. Uh, carries a bit of power for the weight. Um, I really do like him. I feel like he, he, he's he's got a real good opportunity to do well in this sport. So, yeah, I fancy him to 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 win the weekend, win well, look good again doing so. This is a step up for him. So, um, it is someone who is meant to be a little bit of an acid test for him, but I feel like he'll come through with flying colours. Um, and he'll move on to the next to the next um, next one of the ladder and hopefully be in some big fights later on this year. Right, we're going to take it from the UK and over the pond into the USA and this has, uh, it's been pretty massive, hasn't it, Sam? It's sent a few shockwaves. Um, I think it was expected, to be honest with you, but it's been great content. The Mark Breland interview you know, it's been nearly a year since Deontay Wilder was last in the ring when he lost his uh, WBC heavyweight crown to Tyson Fury. Yeah, we're coming up to a year, aren't we? The 22nd of February, I believe it was. So, you know, Matt Breland's been silent since then. He's since split with Wilder. We all know the controversies. For me, 100% the right decision to pull Deontay Wilder out of that fight. He was bleeding from the ear. His legs didn't look steady since the early rounds, really. And Fury just absolutely obliterated him. Um there's a few things, Sam, I want to point out, but we can just have a bit of an open discussion about this interview. It was fascinating, and and, and I must admit, I've not even myself seen it all or read it all. Um, but one of the main points for me is, you know, the stuff he said about Wilder, um, about that he didn't have a jab because he wouldn't let him, you know, teach him a jab. Um, he bought into his own hype. He was uncoachable, untrainable. Um you know, Jay, Jay, is it D's or JD? I always forget how to pronounce it. He said that, yeah, he always said that um, he would text Matt Breland and say, oh, Deontay's not had a good day today. Don't speak to him when he's in the gym. Just fascinating stuff, really. What did you make of it all? What did I make of it all? Um, to be honest, I feel like the whole saga has been really, um, on one hand, funny. Um Funny to watch it play out, but on the other on the other side, incredibly sad for, um, for Deontay Wilder. To be honest, uh, 
someone who built this reputation as one of the most fearsome punters on the planet. Um, and then to hear some of the excuses that have come out of his mouth, um, I, they are laughable, but the same score, they're really sad that he's had to um, exhort to them sort of uh, them deaths and them levels, really. I feel like um, it's it's just... It's, it really is. It, it's just everything that comes out of his mouth just taints, taints his... Um, not so much his legacy, because I don't really feel like he ever built one, although he likes to think in his own mind he did. He... He, if, if we're being honest, Key, I've been saying this to you for a while, and you know, after finally after the Fury fight when he dismantled them, I feel like people really started to. So well, a lot of people do, don't they? Whenever whenever someone gets beat, a lot of people dig them out, and um, which I don't think's right either. But I'd always said, even before the Fury fight, even before the first fight, that his record was the most padded record of any heavyweight champion going. Um, he was someone who hadn't really fought anybody uh, at the top level. Uh, I do feel like. Any of the fringe contenders, the likes of uh, Alexander Pavek and Dillian White, uh, people like that, would have gave Deontay Wilder problems, serious problems. Um, and the only real, the only real win on his record, really, that was a real impressive win was Luis Ortiz, and he was lo- losing both fights. So, and his right hand got him out of trouble. So, yeah, I, I just feel like he's. He's just any any sort of credibility. I can he's he's diminishing it day by day. And Mark Breland, to be fair, has been a class act, um, hasn't he? Over the over the the course of the last year, all the accusations that have been made, some of the shade that's been thrown at him has been disgraceful. Um, he literally did what was best at the time, um, which was to pull Deontay Wilde out the fight. I mean, to be honest, I, I get it in terms of I, I, I get all of you know. The way boxers say they want to go out the shield, I get that a hundred percent. I get it, but then the boxer would always want to go out on the shield. I mean, Keith, there's there's one fight I'm thinking of in particular. You remember it because I know you were watching it. Me and you were talking about it at the time. It was Scott Quigg against John O'Cadell, mm-hmm. which was his last fight. Yeah, last year in March. It was just just before the beginning of the pandemic, uh, and Scott Quigg got absolutely obliterated for whatever it was, eleven rounds, whatever it was. And we were saying after like round five or six, even the commentary on Sky was saying that this fight should be stopped and Gallagher obviously gave him every opportunity to try and turn it round and we were in the end Gallagher got slaughtered didn't he for not pulling him out of the fight and it was Wilder was exactly the same but his trainer Breland well his co-trainer because obviously as you say JDS was the one who Gallagher got slaughtered for being a brave trainer the fight is always going to be brave the trainer can't be brave he has to look after his fight and look after you know his future ambitions and let's say you know if if Quigg had been left in there, well, Quigg got left in there far too long, but if he'd have been left in there any longer than that, he could have ended up with potential brain damage and, you know, mm-hmm. any other life-threatening injury. Wilder the same. He got obliterated, Keaton, for the best part of seven rounds. Been knocked down heavily a few times. Um, and, you know, proven by some of the stuff he said, you know, with doctors saying that, you know, he's got a hole in his head and this, that, and the other. He's, he's obviously suffered some real damage there. Mm-hmm. So... Mark Breland was completely correct to pull him out of the fight. And yeah, he, I mean, to be honest with you, um, I just feel like Wilder really has just got all, his priorities are wrong, being honest. His priorities are wrong. He, you know, he's calling, um, he's, he's questioning his loyalties, questioning whether he, he was in on, you know, uh, something being slipped into his drink. This time, it's just absolute. But once of a better expression, Kieran, it's just crap, isn't it? Just coming out of his mouth. And it's sad, really. It's sad. It's got to the point now where 
everyone was thinking Deontay Wilder's lost the plot and was sort of laughing at him. And now, the longer it's gone on, it's becoming more and more sad by the day because he, he was a former world champion who a lot of people respected. And now he's he's just a laughing stock, really. He's someone who, who nobody's really taken serious anymore. And he, lo- he lost the biggest fight in, in the heavyweight division. Well, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> outside of Joshua, was the biggest biggest fight in heavyweight division. So, you know, in the, and the biggest rematch because he couldn't he couldn't shut his mouth realistically, you know, and, and you know, it's just it's just bewildering, really. It's just bewildering the comments and um, yeah. I mean, in terms of what I made make of Mark Breland's comments, I, I think he's spot on. I think he said it. I feel like he's, he's handled himself with dignity. He gave gave himself time to digest some of the accusations that are being thrown on him, and he's, he's answered answered them, um, and he's answered them very honestly and very. Uh, cutthroat and I think I, I feel like Wilder I, can, I believe every single thing that he said about Deontay Wilder I do believe that he become he, he probably did become untrail he, he, you know he probably believed his own hype he, he, Deontay Wilder is full of his own hype isn't he I mean we've seen him in press conferences but the, to be fair to him he always backed it up admittedly it was against opponents you know other than Lewis Ortiz he, you know um, it was against opponents he was expe- always expected to, to blast out of there anyway but um yeah, I mean, he's always backed it up, so you could never really question. And he's always backed it up in emphatic fashion as well. So you could never really question uh, too much of Deontay Wilder. But I just believe he believed his whole life, believed the fact that he could get away with not um, not working on his his, uh, his weaknesses. Um, and even now, I, do, I feel like he's, he's going down the same route now. He's not going to work on his weaknesses. He's just going to rely on that one-punch power. And I, I, I'll be honest, Keaton. I don't think he's ever going to come back from this. Not properly, anyway. Not to, not to the um, not to the level he was at previously. I feel I feel like he, he's being savagely beaten now that badly that I feel like the blueprints there now to beat him for a lot of the other heavy boots. We'll come on to that in a minute. Actually, we'll come on to you know what's next for him or if anything at all is next for him. I mean, I've not really got much to add to that. I agree with wholeheartedly with everything you've just said. I just want to touch on an important topic that I think has been. Um, I can't think of the word, messed up in all of this, shall we say. And what I what I noticed, especially on social media between Fury and Wilder, was um, a lot of casual fans made it the UK versus the US. And a lot of the USA casual fans, you know, they're coming up with daft conspiracy theories like Fury's gloves weren't right and all this stuff. And I think they're the ones, the most who slated Matt Breland, Not even Wilder, obviously, but the, these people on social media who don't fully understand boxing. And you made a very good example with um, Quig and John O'Carroll. And I think those fans, you know, what I would say to them is, listen, you, and we all want entertainment. If you've paid good money, you want entertainment. I understand that, but you've got to understand that this this sport is dangerous. And you're right. Nobody wants a brave trainer, Sam. You've got to take all the emotion out of everything when, on, on, when it comes to fight night. You know, you, you've become close to this person. They're, they're pretty much your friend nine times out of ten, aren't they? You, you, you look after the best interest first and foremost. You train them to win the fight. And if it's going down a path that, you know, isn't going to plan or their health is at serious risk, then you pull them out of there. That's your job. And I don't think people respect, you know, um, the, the bravery that takes really because they know they're going to get backlash on social media from these casual fans. But just um, people just don't understand that for me. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. It's the, 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 the as you say, Keen. The, the people that would give a Mark Breland stick generally are the people who just 
basically feel like the sun shines out of Deontay Wilder's backside, don't they? And, and you know, and don't get me wrong, there's people like that in Tyson Fury's camp. There'll be people like that in Anthony Joshua's camp. There'll be people like that in Dillian White's camp. You know, the same way there's people who will can't wait for one of them to lose and then will assassinate them as soon as they lose or as soon as they do something wrong. Um, like Anthony Joshua when he got beat by Andy Ruiz in the first fight. How many people turned against him? Even some of our own friends, Keaton. Straight away, we were like laughing at him, and you know, oh, you, you know, we always knew he was a bomb or whatever. This, that, and the other. You know, he. So there's people like that, and there's always going to be people who who will, you know, just no matter what they do, stick up for them. Um, and Deontay Wilder has a lot of fans like that. I mean, we've we've seen some of the videos of some of them. Where I mean, I remember watching an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago with Sugar Hill, Sugar Hill Stewart, and Deontay Wilder's fans were just basically just ringing in and just saying, no matter what you say. I know that he had something in his glove. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't matter what. And it's just unbelievable. Isn't it? And with them types of people, you just got to say, right, okay, you think what you want. Mm. But, you know, at the end of the day, when, when you when you, when you you break it down and think, right, okay, how could he possibly get something in the glove? Because one, Jade Diaz was in the room watching his hands get wrapped. Two, you know, the, the uh, Athletic Commission was in there watching his hands get wrapped. So when, and, you know, watch, watch his hands uh, be put, in, put inside the gloves, watch the gloves get tied and watch the gloves get taped up. So when on earth are they meant to get this metal object and stick it inside this glove? Now, they can say things about the glove flapping and this, that, and the other, but let's be honest, a glove flapping is not going to punch a hole in somebody's head, right? Or, or anything like that. It's ridiculous. In fact, it's actually more of a deficiency on Tyson Fury's part because he won't be getting the full power out of his, out of his shots that he would do if he was throwing the punches correctly. So it, it just... It's beyond belief, mate, some of the crap that comes out of the mouths of, of some people. But in terms of Mark Breland, yeah, I mean, some of the accusations that have been levelled at him are absolutely horrendous, um, despicable. And But the one thing I would say is is that uh, they are a minority from what I've seen. He's had a lot of love on, on social media, a lot of love on Twitter. Um, and being honest, I feel like the general conception is that Mark Breland did the right thing. And I think he's come out of it well, Mark Breland and Deontay Wilder's. It's Deontay Wilder's reputation that's diminished. It's not Mark Breland's. Mark Breland's being held in high, high esteem. And if anything, Jay Diaz is head trainer. His reputation's took a massive hit as well as Deontay Wilder's. Because although he might not have been as outspoken as Deontay Wilder, he's um, the fact that he's saying nothing and just being effectively a yes man to Deontay Wilder, people are losing respect for him as a trainer. And, you know, I just feel like Mark Breland has only come out of it with more respect, especially from you know the majority of the boxing fraternity. Yeah, fair play to Mark Breland. We tip our hats to you. Um, handled it impeccably. The timing, like you said, Sam, to wait nearly a year to do it at the right time. You're absolutely right. He's probably come out of it with a lot more respect than he has uh, criticism, and he's definitely you know put you know some dark clouds over over Deontay Wilder and, and, and his career really so just a quick one to wrap up this this section we can go on we could we could have done the full show on this to, to be fair um but what is next for Deontay Wilder I mean you mentioned that he's finished I think personally he'll retire to be honest with you I, I, the Fury tr- uh, triple header isn't going to happen the, the the third fight won't happen I don't think and I just think all the other fights you know you said before White, Povetkin those guys are on the periphery I think they're too dangerous for him as well. But do you think that he could, you know, get back in the ring? I feel like he'll get back in the ring. I feel like he'll get back in the ring. But he's going to have to. I mean, he's been very, very good at cherry picking his opponents, hasn't he? Not necessarily him, but his management team, uh, the likes of Shelley Finkel, uh, Al Haim, and people like that. They've been very, very good at cherry picking his opponents. 
Um, I mean, and there'll be people who argue out there saying, well, why did he give Fury a chance? He didn't have to, this, that, and the other. He took a chance on Fury because Fury had just been three years out the ring and he'd come back and fought two bums and didn't look particularly great in either one of them. And he thought he'd bash him up. It was the best time to get Tyson Fury and he still got it handed to him. And he took the rematch with Tyson Fury, one, because it was a massive money spin, and two, because he had to to get his self-respect back. He'd just been absolutely bashed round the ring for, let's be honest, it was 10 out of 12 rounds. You know, and I know we knocked him down um, twice in round 12. Uh, sorry, knocked him down, sorry, in round 12. He, he, for me, other than the knockdown, he lost the round. So, you know, he, he had to take that fight for the self-respect. As you've just said, I don't feel like he's going to get the third fight with Tyson Fury after everything he said. So, who does he chase? Does he go after Anthony Joshua, who's, who's you know, the cash cow of the heavyweight division? Possibly. But is Anthony Joshua going to want to give Deontay Wilder a crack at the heavyweight title? I don't know. What, what, what's it to gain for Deontay? Deontay Wilder's lost a lot of his his value in that fight. All of a sudden, I mean, he's not going to he's not going to give Deontay Wilder now fifty million. Deontay Wilder's going to want. Let's be honest, he's going to want at least sixty forty, won't he? Isn't he in, in, for that fight for in Joshua's favor? And is Joshua want to give him sixty forty? Because other than Tyson Fury and Luis Ortiz, he hasn't beat anybody. You know what I mean? He's beaten like the likes of Arthur Spilker, Dominic Brazil, fighters who are sort of like just. I mean. If you, were to ask, if you were to ask AJ about some of his top performances, would Dominic Brazil even make the top five? No. And he's probably in Deontay Wilder's top five. Probably probably in the top three or four. So, you know, it just goes to show the level he's been fighting at. Um, I mean, and that's, you know, some of the stick that obviously has been leveled at AJ, you know, um, about his opponents. And you're thinking, because he hasn't fought a Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. Nobody's fought everybody else. Everybody else he could have possibly fought. The likes of Parker, Povekin, um, Pulev, uh, Ruiz, you know, he's, he's fought or Dillian White, he fought all the names who were just underneath mm. and he's been called, and, and, and to be fair, the whole Wilder fiasco with Fury um, just before Christmas was actually brilliant for Joshua because it finally came to light that it was Wilder all along who mm. hadn't agreed to the fight and even though they'd done a great job of portraying that he chickened out the fight, Joshua it was great for Joshua that that finally came out but in terms of Wilder, where he goes next I feel like he will fight again. I feel like he'll fight Andy Ruiz. Um, I feel like that's a matchup they'll look to try and make. Uh, maybe not straight away, but certainly a fight or two down the line. Um, both PBC fighters, Andy, I feel like they'll try and match them. Um, yeah, I mean, I struggle, aren't you? I mean, you know, what are they going to do? Go and fight Lewis Ortiz again? I doubt it. <laughs> you, know I mean? you know, we probably won't fight him again. So, yeah, you're looking at Andy Ruiz. You're possibly looking at Dillian White. Obviously, he's called Dillian White's name. But if you're honest, Key, why would Dillian White want to fight him now? Doesn't like doesn't I mean he wants to, he wants to fight White now, doesn't he? When it when it suits him, this is his problem. And the Ruiz fight, I like the look of that. If Andy Ruiz actually gets himself in decent shape, I'm not even talking about he doesn't have to shed all of his weight, but just half decent shape, he can trouble Wilder on the inside. Fast so he'll flat, I'll be honest, he'll flatten him because Andy Ruiz will do what Deontay Wilder had done to him by Tyson Fury, which was walk him down. And with him being a shorter man, Deontay Wilder will struggle because obviously he's got big, long arms. And the only way Deontay Wilder can win is by landing at range, mid to mid to long range. If Andy Ruiz is on the inside, he, he hasn't got the shots to be able to get him out of there, unlike Joshua, whereas Joshua um, can box. Joshua obviously boxed on the outside inside. But even in New York, when he when, obviously when he lost the fight, I mean, the, the shot that put Ruiz down, he's got uppercuts on his locker, he's got hooks in his locker. Wilder doesn't have that. He just has the straight right hand down the pipe. And... Um, I just don't see if he goes into that fight with Andy Ruiz. I think that's that'll finish him, and I think that'll be the if he does fight Ruiz, that'll be the fight that ends his career at the top level. Because after that, he's going to be looking to fight, you know, 
mid, you know, that, after that, he's looking at heavyweights like Huey Fury and people like that because mm-hmm. he just, no one else, you know, in terms of Pavekins, he might get a Pavekin, but in terms of Pavekins, White, people like that, he's going to lose all his credibility because he's been beaten by Andy Ruiz, you know, you know, someone who he poured scorn on when he beat Andy Joshua. Um, Tyson Fury's poured scorn on. So his credibility is completely out the window. And I feel like Andy Ruiz has definitely got the boxing IQ and the shots to beat Deontay Wilder. He's proven his toughness already against Anthony Joshua. I don't feel like for as much as everyone goes on about Deontay Wilder's power, I don't feel like his power is that much different to Anthony Joshua's. I do feel like he's, he's possibly got a little bit more in terms of his one-punch knockout power. But, I mean, he's been on the end, Andy Ruiz, of... Joshua's one punch, not uh, one punches, and he's been on the end. And who, by the way, Anthony Joshua throws them technically better than Deontay Wilder, so um, they will probably hurt and be as concussive as Deontay Wilder. Um, and he puts puts them together in bunches. He's he's been you know hit by combos from Anthony Joshua as well. So I feel like he'd be used to that sort of power. And I just feel like you get him out of it. I'll be honest with you. I feel like Andy, Andy Ruiz would stop Deontay Wilder, and it'd be and it'd be similar fashion to what he stopped Anthony Joshua. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. It's all very fascinating, isn't it? and this this is why we love it, and this is why we record ourselves talking about it, Sam, because there's just so much to get stuck into. We're going to stay with heavyweights, and we're going to you know look at the the big one, the crown jewel of division, and it's going to be Tyson Fury versus, versus Anthony Joshua. Sam, it actually looks like it's going to happen. For a while, I thought that, it it wouldn't, but it looks like it's actually going to happen. And for all the belts as well, obviously Joyce and Usyk have took the uh, the step aside deal for now. Um, an interesting debate I want to just throw to you quickly. You know, obviously everyone would will be thinking, you know, two British heavyweights, two of the best British heavyweights we've seen. Um, all of the heavyweight belts, the biggest prize in sport. You know, should they wait and have it in the UK at Wembley, say, because it's, you know, two British fighters, and have a crowd in and wait that extra bit of time? Or is this year the year? Do they have to get it on this year? And for that reason, they're going to have to take it abroad somewhere for the money, you know, like Saudi, USA, and somewhere they can have a crowd. What what what, what do you think? Um, first and foremost, we would love to have it here with me in this country. I mean, it's, it's the biggest heavyweight fight probably since... Probably since Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson. Um, however, obviously, Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson was, you know, although a lot of people still loved Mike Tyson at the time, I, f- I feel like, you know, most people would have uh, picked Lennox Lewis to, be- to win that fight. In terms of it being a 50-50 fight, you're probably going back as far as uh, the 90s or maybe even earlier. Um, it really is a pick and fight. Um, I know a lot of people are sort of, certainly in the boxing fraternity, are edging towards Tyson Fury. But I feel like that's dangerous because obviously, Anthony Joshua, has got uh, you know, unbelievable power, puts his combinations together brilliantly. Uh, shot selection is really, really good, very quick as well. So um, it'd be dangerous to write off Anthony Joshua, and I feel like that fight is a 50-50 fight. Um, we'll definitely see how both men win the fight. And Yeah, I, I feel like in answer to your question, it's very, very important that this fight happens this year because the more it gets delayed, the more problems you're going to have with the governing bodies, as you as you referred to previously, with Alexander Usyk fighting Joe Drew for the interim title. Um, listen, if that fight gets delayed, there's no way in a million years, um, when I say that fight, I meant uh, Joshua Fury. Um, if that gets delayed, then Usyk's not going to sit, sit there for two years while they um, look for a time to make the fight. So the time's now. The time is now to make the fight. If that means going abroad, let's do it. If, 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 I, if I'm honest, though, from a selfish point of view, 
I want that fight to be made somewhere where the fight is on prime time in the UK. I don't want it at four o'clock in the morning in the, in, in the US. That to me is just like a finisher. And to be honest, I don't think it will. I think it's going to go to the Middle East. I think it'll end up in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, somewhere like that. Um, and it'll be a massive fight. It'll get a crowd. And it'll happen at prime time here in the UK. And be the biggest fight, biggest blockbuster fight that we've seen between two UK fighters. Yeah, I haven't just... I've just read uh, Eddie Hearn's Relentless book, got it for Christmas, and he mentioned in the the last chapter, he's talking about the relationship that he's uh, got with, um, I think it's Prince Khalid or Prince Khalid, who was the guy who basically put on the Ruiz rematch in Soda. And I feel like I that's... That, I read the book myself just it's, before Christmas, November, yeah. It's very intriguing, it, and I think that's the way they're going to go. Like you said, it's going to be prime time in UK as well because it's pretty much the similar same time. Or it is the same time, I think. So um, I think so. I um, but yeah, yeah it, it's still around about 10 o'clock UK time, I think, something like that. So ho- hopefully what will happen in an ideal world is obviously there's going to be a rematch clause. So we'll have the first fight in Saudi and hopefully we can get the rematch on at full Wembley in an ideal world. But it all remains to be seen. The, all that matters, Sam, I agree. Let's get it on this year. Let's get this fight done because we cannot afford to miss out on this fight. Um, as fans, as promoters, whoever you are in the boxing spectrum, this has just got to happen, hasn't it? Um, got to happen. Um, biggest fight that I can remember certainly in British boxing history um, I feel like both of them are in the prime there's no excuses um, and it's going to be the one time that they're going to be able to unify the whole division now don't get me wrong this fight is bigger than the belts these these two could vacate all the belts and the fight would still be the biggest fight in the division mm. because the ring magazine would still be on the line um, the lineal, the lineal championship, if that's even a thing, would still be on the line. They'd still be recognised as the best heavyweight in the in the division, the best heavyweight in the world, the best heavyweight of their era, as Tyson Fury likes to put it. So, you know, without the belts, so the belts are just, you know, the the belts are, are uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The belts are an added bonus, uh, but you know, it, it will be huge without the belts, regardless. It is bigger than the belts, and that's why it does have to happen. But the fact that the belts are on the line does make it a bonus, and that's why the fight has to happen now and not wait for a year. We've, you know, at the top of the show, Keen, we were talking about, you know, Josh Warrington, the time he spent out the ring. You know, Tyson Fury would have spent, you know, best part of, by the time the fight comes round, the best part of a similar time, 15 months out the ring, you know, when, when he gets in the ring with Joshua. Um, you know, Joshua obviously spent the best part of a, a year out the ring before he fought. Um, before he fought in uh, December against Kuba Pulev. So he's had one fight and he'll, he will have had one fight in 18 months. So, yeah, I mean, they, they can't afford to wait around, being honest, both of them. Um, and I don't think the general public can either. general public can't afford to wait any longer for this fight. It needs to happen. It needs to happen as soon as. The Matchday FM podcast, available now on Apple and Spotify. Right, we've spoke about all kinds of fights, fights in the future, fights in the past, and we're going to stick with that theme. Uh, For a couple of quick features, what we're going to wrap up on, um, we're going to try and do this every time, Sam, so play your cards close to your chest. Don't be revealing loads of fights because you might want to use one or two further down the line, but we'll start off with fights we'd like to see now. Um, Myself and Sam will both give a fight that we'd like to see this year. Sam, is there any uh, fight in particular that you want to see happen in 2021? Apart from Fury, Joshua. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a tough question. There's lots of fights out there, isn't there? I mean, 
you know, as you said, without naming them all, it's, it's quite difficult, really. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two. One of which is like say a, a UK fight, and the other one would be just any international UK fight. I'd like to see. I'd like. Do you know what I'd love to see? And he's actually, obviously, he spoke about at the top of the show. I'd like to see the rematch between Josh Warrington and Carl Frampton. I think that'd be a great fight. Um, big stadium sellout <clears throat> towards later this year, um, early part of next year, if it happens. Uh, obviously. There would have to be a crowd for that, though. Uh, but yeah, whether that's at Ellen Road, well, yeah, either Ellen Road or at um, Windsor Park in Belfast, I just think that's a massive fight. And and to be fair, I just feel like Frampton would be much better this time around because he knows what what be what be coming. And it was fight of the year contender, wasn't it last time around? I feel like Carl Frampton still got a lot to give. So that'd be a great fight domestically. Um, in terms of just anything though, any all around the world, do you know what? I'd love to see. Do you know what? Do you know what I'd love to see? A tremendous class of stars. No one's really spoke about it because he lost. But I would love to see Javante Davis versus Vasily Lomachenko. I just think that fight would just be incredible. Just a complete contrast of styles. Um, obviously, Javante Davis, really good technician, uh, but is known for being <clears throat> really good counter puncher with bags and bags of power. Uh, and he's carried the power all through the weights as well, to be fair to him. Um, so he's a he's a really really good prospect. Obviously, a brutal knockout, knockout, you know, knockout real uh, stoppage against the uh, Leo Santa Cruz uh, at the back end of last year. Uh, and Vasily Lomachenko. I mean, obviously, there's a lot being said about Lomachenko. He's he's a uh, over the years he's been absolutely unbelievable, incredible fighter, um, incredible technician, probably the best technician in boxing there is, to be honest. Um, Obviously, suffered defeat against Teofimo Lopez uh, back in the last year. And I feel like he's uh, he's been written off a little bit. Obviously, you know, the, the younger generations obviously coming through in the lightweight division at the moment with the likes of Teofimo Lopez, uh, as we just said, who, who, who inflicted his, uh, his latest defeat. You've got uh, Javonta Davis, obviously, around that weight. Uh, you've got Ryan Garcia, obviously, just beat our own Luke Campbell in uh, the beginning of January. You've got Devin Haney, who's the WBC champion at the moment. Um, so, you know, there's four straight away off the bat who are uh, real young guns in that division and, and you know, red-hot division. But uh, Lomachenko uh, would be a really good fight for... Well, it'd just be a really good fight against Javante Davis, a complete clash of styles. Um, and one that would be really intriguing because, obviously, Javante Davis has ability as well as real raw freakish power, whereas Lomachenko... Especially because them two can fight a super feather as well. I feel like that'd be a more fair, you know, fair fight as well. Um, obviously, the size difference wouldn't be as big as what it was between Tiafimo and and, uh, and Lomachenko. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to see that fight. I just think it'd be a great contrast of styles. It's proper pick. It's proper pick them, isn't it? Down at super feather and lightweight. I mean, I could have picked any of them as well. Um, I, man's probably a little bit of a cop out, but I'm, I want to see Canelo versus Billy Joe. To be honest with you. And, and I mean, when I say Billy Joe, I mean the Billy Joe what fought David Lemieux when he in Canada yeah. when he was full fit, prime, slick boxing, taking the taking the Mickey. That's the Billy Joe I want to see. If he's going to fight Canelo, he's got to be at the top of his game. Um, obviously Canelo's fighting uh, Avner Yildirim uh, very yeah. soon, but I'd, I'd love to see that. Just but it has to be prime Billy Joe. If it's not. Um, a, a fully fit Billy Joe Saunders, then I'm not bothered because Canelo will make short work of him. But I think if he's, he's he's got the right mindset and the right fitness, I think he can you know box on the outside and, and he's he's clever enough to cause Canelo a few problems. So that'll be interesting. 
Uh, I'd like to see that at middle, middleweight. Um, and do you know what? People will give me stick for this because they're both finished, but I'd, I'd still want to see Amir Khan and Kelbrook. I think just both ride off and fight each other and ride off into the sunset. I just think, have that as your last fight. Let's just do it for the crack. Um, but, yeah. still, right? I don't think, it's going to sound crazy, this, right? I don't think Kelbrook's finished. I, I, I don't know what it is, just sort of, I, I feel like 147, he was finished at 147 after Earl Spence and he's, he's carried on going after fight after fight, trying to get big fights down at 147. I've never quite got it. I mean, obviously, he, he feels like he retains a lot of power at 147, I'm guessing, you know, because he's, he's a bigger, big, strong, uh, well, so he, he struggled to make the way for years. And um, I know he said, oh, you know, I've made it the best I've ever made in the last couple of camps. But listen, you don't get to his age, Keith, without taking a toll on you. And I feel like it has. I feel like he should have stayed at light middle. And light middle, to be honest, is a very competitive division. But it's not like, you know, there's not as many household names down there for a start, so it, it won't be as hard to get a fight as what it would be at, at, at a, a welterweight or a, or a middle. Um, and secondly, I feel like they're all there to be beaten. All the champions can be beat. So, with Kel Brook, I mean, controversial, I feel like a lot of people do feel like Kel Brook's finished, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, he in, in that Kel Brook Crawford fight, he won the, don't, let's not forget, he won the first two rounds and the third, the third round was relatively close. He just got caught in the fourth round. Amir Khan quit against Tennis Crawford after getting, you know, for want of a better expression, beetle, didn't he? You know, for six rounds, quit on his stool or was pulled out or whatever you want to call it. I, I, I'll be honest. I'd like to see the fight because it's been spoken about for, for such a long time and, you know, it'd be yeah. nice to see them square off and settle the differences. But do you know what, Keith, it happened? I feel like Kelbrook could actually destroy him, you know. I've always, I've always felt Kelbrook would beat him. I just think, He's got he got enough power to trouble him, um, yeah. but yeah, it's one of them, isn't it? It, it may have um, had its time, shall we say? It may have, we may have gone past that, but still, just get it. the hype would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? We could still sell it, you know. There's there's promoters out there who could sell it, so uh, yeah, yeah, get so it on. Anyone can sell it, Eddie Ayn can sell it. Yeah, trust me, that absolutely. And just quickly to finish off, we'll do fights we'd like to have seen. So this is where we can pick a we can go back in time, Sam. Getting getting a time machine and go back and uh, you know go to any do they have to have happened or can it be anything that even ones that didn't happen uh, yeah if you, if you want anything that was you know if it's like for example Fury v Hay that got made but never happened you could you can pick that right. yeah got to be realistic though it's not like so you couldn't choose like uh, couldn't choose Tyson Fury versus Muhammad Ali you know what I mean it has to be better to be no realistic. no like a fight that's happened yeah so one that's happened that's uh, fell through or one that's fell through yeah you can right. pick yeah, so uh, fight out. Do you know what? I would have liked to have seen. Going back through history, it's, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, don't forget we've got uh, loads. You can loads of episodes you can pick other fights on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, it's so tough. But, um, hmm. do, do you know what, Key? I would have loved to have seen the George Goals James the Goalie match. Would have loved to have seen that, especially round about the time that um, James De- round about the time that James DeGale won the IBF title against Andre Durell. I feel like that would have been the perfect time to make that make that rematch because obviously James DeGale, uh, DeGale even sorry, um, obviously coming off a high in terms of winning that fight against Durell, um, obviously had the loss to Groves previously as well as losing to him in the amateurs. So 
he would have had a real point to prove. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's a bit of a cop out to be honest with you because uh, all the fights you could have picked, you know, to, to pick a fight between two British super middleweight rivals. But I just lo- I, I loved, I loved the uh, the rivalry between them. I would have loved to have seen, um, seen the rematch of that. Um, yeah, I mean, if, you, if other than that, uh, yeah. I, no, I mean, I'll probably name one more again, super middleweight division. But I would have liked to have seen Calzaghe versus Frotch as well. Mm. Um, I feel like that would have been a good matchup. Um, complete contrast of stars. Do you fancy Calzaghe to win despite what Frotch says? I mean, Frotch, Frotch probably, probably would have said too big, too strong, you know, and uh, and that type of stuff. But yeah, would have fancy Calzaghe to win. But no, you know, doesn't take away from the fact I still would have loved to have seen it just to see if, if Frotch could have um, broken down and got to him. Yeah, I would have loved to see that as well. Kazagi Frotch. They're both really good ones. I mean, I'm going to go for, I'm going to pick one uh, that actually happened and I would have liked to have been there. You know, I was thinking about this on the way home and the first one I thought, Hatton Mayweather. And, and th- that was would have been a cop out, I think. I just, I remember watching it when I was a kid and I was quite young then, but I remember it on Sky Sports News and just seeing the travelling crowd that had gone over to Vegas and seeing yeah. seen it. Um, so that was one. But the one I'm going to pick is, um, and it's the one really for me, I was always into boxing, but this is the one that really made me you know get into it and research and properly you know know my stuff and it was um just by chance me and my dad flicked it on and watched it and it changed it's changed the game over here and it was the first fight between uh carl frotch and josh groves i would just have loved to be in that arena um yeah. you know frotch was just expected to flatten him wasn't it and that first round just that changed that has changed that that shot from groves that put frotch on his back dad has changed the face of boxing in this country yeah that, well did you say the first fight or the second fight? No, the uh, first Cal- fight. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, the first fight. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm sure Carl Foch would probably debate that because he, he will have argued uh, the Mikel Kessler rematch and Lucian Butte and fights like that. But no, I, I agree. In terms of pay-per-view um, and hitting the pay-per-view numbers, that fight was the fight that put British boxing back, um, back on its pedestal, really, as one of the major players in the sport. Um, and... Yeah, in terms of the first the first fight, it was just an absolute just war, wasn't it? And mm. I mean, it's been well, you know, well documented across Manchester FM, Keen, that you know the love that me and you both have for George Groves. Um, <laughs> he was he was uh, someone who divided opinion. Uh, he was hated, wasn't he? Actually, mm. Carl Frotch played the media really, really well. Um, you know, he uh, basically he he had George Groves had everybody against him. Even you know from the media to the to the fans, everybody. Carl Frost had done a really good job about how he'd been disrespected and this that the other as a champion. But by the way, I like Carl Frost, but he did exactly the same thing to Joe Calzaghe when Calzaghe was chasing the fight with him. So it's a little bit pock on the kettle black, but uh, but yeah, it's it was just a fascinating build up, fascinating fight. Um, what was good about the build up to that though was that no one really gave Groves a chance. Mm-hmm. Really, um, it was sort of like, yeah, he's a good fighter, he's got a good record, good win over the Gale. But just after everything Frotch had done, everyone was expecting Frotch to blow him out. Um, and Groves had sort of a bit of a puncher's chance. But I mean, that first round was just—I mean, it was just incredible, wasn't it? I mean, what was great about the um, the, the, the fight and, and what actually happened, Keith? If you ever remember, as you say, he flicked over. So I don't know whether you've seen it since. When you say you flicked over with your dad. You might have seen it since. You wouldn't have seen it at the time. But I remember seeing it at the time. It's the presser just beforehand. That might have been, I think it was the final post, uh, post uh, final pre uh, fight press conference. And uh, Groves just said, basically, I'm going to walk out into the middle. He said, in the first round, I'm going to hit you with two right hands. 
said, just two, just to let you know that I can hit you with it whenever I want. And he nailed them on the second night. <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. He was like, wow, he's carried out what he said he was going to. And it was just, as soon as he did that, I'll be honest, he had me. As soon as he did that, I wanted him to win because he was the underdog. And I, I saw that a little soft spot for underdogs at times. But as soon as he nailed him with that right hand, I was hooked. I was like, yeah, I'm a George Gold fan from now on. And that's it. I wanted him to win against the before. So yeah. We love the Saints. Um, Happy yeah, retirement, Saints. And then, <laughs> and then you know, as is a... You know, and obviously that fight set up the best, probably the best ring walk in British boxing history as well, isn't it? So, <laughs> Yeah, underdog Kasabian on the London bus. Oh, mad. Oh, they, were, they were great days. Um, yeah. Sam, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and thank you to the listeners for tuning into the, the first edition of the Ringcraft podcast. We're going to be coming at you regular regular with boxing content. Um, yeah, so to keep tuning in uh, with me and Sam will try and uh, bring pleasure to, to the old ears um, as we, you know, chat about a sport that we love. So, yeah, thanks again. To Sam, thank you to the listeners to ring, uh, listening to the first edition of the Ringcraft podcast brought to you by Matchday FM. <laughs>